0: If you have your bibles turn to genesis chapter 15 uh, verses 1 to 21 genesis 15 verses 1 through 21 friends listen this is the word of christ after these things the word of the lord came to abram in a vision fear not abram i am your shield your reward shall be very great Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot... And a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the Word of God. Well, so we began a new series last week. It's, it's our ministry theme for the year. Uh, and that theme is blessed to be a blessing. That's our theme for the year. You know, and, and we talked last week about this image of a pitcher. You know, this image of a pitcher that God makes us into pitchers. He creates us so that we become pitchers. And so he fills us up, remember the image, he fills us up with his blessings so that we would pour ourselves out, we would pour the blessings that we experience out into the lives of others that we know, the folks that we know, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our colleagues, our family members, right, both in the church and outside. That's the image that we talked about last week, blessed to be a blessing. My question for you today is, have you ever felt like this? You know, there's two parts to our theme, blessed to be a blessing. And I know it's so easy for us to run off with this huge desire to be a blessing to others, right? You got a friend or you have someone in the church or a neighbor and you want to be a blessing to them. And you, 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 you interact with them, you go to them, you spend time with them and you got Nothing. What do you do? What do you do? When you feel empty, where do you go? How do you handle that? The first part of our ministry theme is to be blessed. It's blessed. We need to be experiencing God's real blessings on a daily basis, walking in these blessings if we're going to have something to share with other people. And so the question is, how? I got an email this week from someone who said, I loved your sermon on Sunday because I used to be a pitcher. And I'm not anymore. I don't know how to get back to that place. I feel like I try and it doesn't work. I feel isolated and alone. I feel cut off, and I don't know what to do. Our passage today talks about what to do when you're feeling that way. If you need to know how to experience God's blessings, then Genesis 15 is for you. There is something in Christianity that is so wonderful if you get it, And yet it's offensive if you don't. It's fueling if you get it, and frustrating if you don't. It's moving, it's compelling if you get it, and it's polarizing if you don't. What is this thing? It's grace. It's grace. It is the undeserved unearned favor of God it characterizes Christianity it is the key to unlocking God's blessings in your life you've got to understand the grace of God and God's grace comes to Abram in our Bible passage in Genesis, in Genesis 15 and it comes to you today and it's design is to fill you up so that you are overflowing and that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see, and we're going to see this in three steps as we go through this story here. We're going to see first fear of, in life, second grace and promise, and then third grace and action. So, first fear in life. Fear in life. Abram is afraid. Verse 1 got us to come to him in a vision, show up and say, Fear not, Abram, don't be afraid if you are with us last week, you're thinking, well, what is Abraham to be afraid of? Right? God just gave him the greatest promise ever. God told him that he was going to make his name great, that he was going to be this great nation, and that in him, every other nation on earth was going to experience God's blessings. What's to fear? Well, I challenged you last week to actually read the story of Abraham. How many of you did that, but if you, if you read on from Genesis 12 through 12 into chapter 13 through chapter 14, you'll have an understanding of why God says to Abram in chapter 15, verse 1, don't be afraid. In chapter 12, Abram almost loses his wife. She was actually kidnapped, and he had to lie to save himself. He almost lost his wife. In chapter 13, Abram has to part ways with his nephew Lot, so he loses part of the family that he has. In chapter 14, Abram gets caught up in this war between nine different kings. And Abram has to go rescue his nephew Lot, who was captured in one of the battles. The point is that Abram, after experiencing the blessings, after receiving God's blessings, he's experiencing the reality of life. God has been with him every single step of the way. God was with him when Sarai was kidnapped. God was with him when Lot and he had to separate. God was with him in the battle. But I think Abram has this sense that, you know, this actually isn't going to be easy. God's blessings are wonderful. God promises an abundant life of significance, of power, of real love and transformation. But God also knows that in order for us to be the kind of people that can pour into others, we need to grow and be trained. And in Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 10, God says, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver, but I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. The way that God burns out the impurities in our lives, in your life, is by putting us through things that test our faith. The difficult things that you experience are designed by God to get rid of the flaws in your character, to help you grow, to be more understanding of other people, to give you strength and confidence in God's presence in your life. And in the midst of those tests, in the midst of those trials, in the midst of the challenges in life, fear creeps in. Fear creeps in. And as fear begins to take root, doubt comes. And fear and doubt are probably the things that empty us out more than anything else. When you experience fear and doubt, those things drain you, I think, more than anything. And we see this verses two and three god says don't be afraid i'm your shield your reward will be great abram says but i don't have an heir yet god you told me that my children my offspring, to be as many as the dust of the earth in chapter 13 sarah is not pregnant i'm not a dad i'm not seeing it lord I'm struggling here. The heir of my house is not my son. It's Eliezer of Damascus. I like what verse 13, or what verse 3 says, because it says, and Abram said, Behold. You see that? <laughs> He's saying, God, look at my life. And there's, it's like, like God can't see his life. But he's struggling here. God, do you see? Look! Look, Lord, I don't see your promises coming true. I'm struggling. I'm struggling here. I'm starting to doubt. Can't you see this? Are you paying attention? In verse 7, God says, I'm the Lord who brought you out, of the, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And in verse 8, that fear, that doubt creeps back in. Abram says, oh, Lord God, how am I to, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? How can I know for sure? All right, how many of you feel that way? Yeah. Well, these promises sound good. How do I know they're true for me? What encourages me here is the honesty of Abram. What do you do with your fear and your doubt? You go to the one that you're doubting. That's what Abram does. He goes to the Lord in honest prayer. And he says, God, I'm struggling here. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm not sure about this. And by doing that, he opens the doors wide for us to go into the presence of God with our honesty, with all of our fears, with all of our doubts, with all of our struggles, and say, Lord, help. Help. This conversation, in a sense, it's kind of like Abram is having a chance to look back over the last three chapters and bring it into the Lord. It's like every great athlete or sports team, you know, they always watch the tapes of the games. Right? They watch and um, I remember when I was playing football, you know, we'd get into the, into the locker room and, and we'd have like three or four video screens up and different coaches had different controls, you know, and the, the wide receivers had their particular cameras that were focused on their performance. You know, and you watch play after play after play and then the, the offensive line and the defense, right? And you're, you're watching and you're looking over it and you're evaluating, right? You're seeing, you're, you're watching the performance and this is kind of what Abram's doing. He's sort of looking back over his life, and he's saying, Lord, okay, you made these promises, but I'm not seeing it. Let's look back, and, and I need help. I need help. When you go to the Lord, in the blank there, in the first, on that first line, fear in life, go to the Lord with your fears and doubts. That's what Abram does. That is what the scripture, that's what God is calling you to do. Go to him and say, Lord, here is what I'm doubting. Here is where I'm afraid. When you do that, when you go to God like this, you will receive his grace. God responds to those kinds of prayers, to these kinds of prayers with grace. And he gives us his grace through both words and actions. Our second point is grace in promise. Grace in promise. This is verses 4 through 6. God responds to Abram's fears and doubts by giving him assurance. Okay, and that assurance comes through a promise. Verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very son, your very own son, shall be your heir. God promised Abram a son. And this is as though God is getting in front of Abram and and like kind of grabbing his head and and directing his gaze so that he's looking him eye to eye. And he's saying, I haven't forgotten. I will make good on my promise. You can take my promise to the bank. I haven't forgotten a word that I've spoken to you. You need to know that my promises will come true. That's what God is doing. He's giving Abram assurance. He's re-promising to Abram. He's not beating him up because he's doubting. God understands. And That's what I love about God. He understands how hard it is for us. He gets how difficult it is. He understands, boy, there's just so much that goes on in life that fights against his promises in our life. God gets it. It's like he wants to get right up in Abram's face with with love and understanding and compassion and just to say, Abram, I haven't forgotten. It's coming true. It's going to come true. That desire of your heart, I've promised it to you. It's going to come true. And this promise that God gives to Abram is grace. Grace. It's grace. It's not based on Abram's performance, right? It's not based on Abram being good enough. It's based on God's promise. God doesn't say, well, you really screwed up with Sarai in, uh, with Abimelech. So, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to do the promise anymore. You know, and then the thing with Lot, you know, I mean, God doesn't do that. Instead, God reaffirms the promise because it's not based on Abram. It's not based on his performance, his good works. It's based on God's grace. It's based on God's grace. And so this is how it works. When you feel drained, you need the promises of God to come into your life and fill you up. You need God to come and say, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you. I understand that you're struggling. And I haven't forgotten you. And I'm going to fill you up when you let God speak to you his promises. When you allow God to remind you of his promises in your life. This is how you will feel that anytime someone tips over, tips you or bumps into you, you're going to spill over God's grace. Right? The Bible calls us to be full of grace. Grace. And the only way to be filled with God's grace is to connect in with God's promises. It's his promises. It's not our performance. It's God listening to us in our fears and our doubts, not condemning us, but refilling us. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out God's promises, as you read the promises of God in the Bible, as you remember the promises of God that you hear on Sundays or from other people, reminding yourself of the promises of God are like bringing the love of God into the room with your fear. When I do that, my fear that seems so overwhelming begins to shrink. The problem that I'm afraid of becomes smaller and smaller and smaller because look who just walked in. And that God who just walked in has this abundant, overflowing love for me. And I can take his promises to the bank. And God goes farther. I mean, this is is what I love about God. He knows that Abram is not, he's not going to be able to speak to Abram this one time and have that be the end of it. That all of his fears will go away, never to return. God knows that Abram is going to struggle with this because God has a long-term plan for Abram. If you want God to do great things in your life through you to others, it takes time. And it takes learning and endurance and patience, which usually means suffering. And if you're suffering now, God is using you. He's preparing you to do something significant. Okay? And so God knows that Abram is going to struggle with this again and again and again. And so so God says, come here, Abram. I want to show you something. And Abram comes over and God puts his arm around him and and he walks him outside. Right? You can see this in the text. Um, Verse 5. He brought him outside, and he said, look toward heaven, and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Look up, start counting, I'll tell you when to stop. And he says, that's how many descendants you are going to have. Now, when we look up in San Diego, sometimes we see a few stars. Right? Have you ever been out in the wilderness? Have you ever been out in the anza Desert or up in Julian in the mountains at night? You look up there, unbelievable. Right? You see points of light everywhere, and then you see kind of like a, a really thin film even beyond the stars, you know, the Milky Way, you can see more and more of our galaxy. I mean, we're talking, I think scientists say that we can see 20 trillion stars. This is the God that we believe. What's what's exciting about this, what's exciting about this is that this is another gift of God's grace. Because what God has done is God is turning Abram's daily experience into a reminder of his gracious promise. Okay, every single night from here on in Abram's life, every single night as the sun goes down, Abram gets this replay of the promise. The sun goes down and and he sees a star first star and he says i'm going to have a child and then another one shows and then another one shows and abram says i'm going to have children and they're going to have children and they're going to have children and they're going to have ch- and and you got to understand that back in the ancient near east this was eternal life cuz you lived forever through your descendants was one of the ways that they thought about it And so, for Abram, this was God giving him the opportunity to get assurance every single night. It's almost like the night became a sacrament for Abram. Every night he could replay the promises of God. He could go to sleep in the full assurance that God has been gracious to him. As sure as the stars appear in the sky, that's how sure Abram can be that God's promises will come true. This is what gets us to this. This is what fills us up so that we overflow, so we have something to offer. I mean, talk about that promise. Right? This is for us. You've got to ask yourself, what is it that reminds you of the promises of God's grace? How do you connect in and remind yourself of the undeserved and unearned grace of God in your life? Think about that. What is it that restores and it refills you connecting to God's promises? For me, boy, it's spending time with God in the morning. It's, it's reading the Bible and praying. I know it sounds cliche, but it 's cliche because it works for so many people you know its it 's just spending time with god you know and, and and so some of us really well connect in with with god 's word with praying um, others of us it 's being in a small group you know it 's our community groups it 's the relationships that really feed and fuel us right because you Have a hard time reminding yourself of the promises, and so you need somebody else to remind you of the promises. Uh, Maybe it's being outdoors. Maybe it's volunteering and being part of of serving that really reminds you that God has been gracious to you. That's why you're doing what you're doing. But you want to get to a place. You need to get to a place. Um, And I would say commit yourself to something for the next seven days. Okay? Starting today, for the next seven days, just this one week, commit yourself to something. Maybe it's going to be to reading the story of Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. Just every morning, every morning, every or whatever, evening, pick a time and a place and read about Abram's journey of faith. The ups and the downs. And see God's grace in his life and, and say, God, you've been this gracious to me and more. Do it for the next seven days. Figure it out. Write down, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Or I'm going to pray every day. Or I'm going to, whatever it is that will help you, remind you of God's grace. And see if you aren't more filled this week. See if your level doesn't rise up. My guess, too, is that you might actually pour out this week into somebody else, but that's not what this sermon's about. The sermon's about being filled. Next week, we'll talk about pouring out. So we see God's grace in promise. Um, Our third point is grace in action. Grace in action. Because God goes beyond words for Abram. God goes beyond giving him this amazing illustration God puts and shows grace in action. Because when Abram asks the question in verse 8, that is frankly the question that so many of us ask all the time, he says, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How can I be sure, right, that these blessings are going to be for me? And so beyond promises, beyond illustrations, God enters into a contract. Okay, God enters into a contract with Abram. Okay? This contract is called the covenant. Look at verse 18. It says on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He made a covenant with Abram. Now, for us, in our day, contract is probably a good word for us to use, because it's legally binding. Okay, more than a promise. You can promise something, theoretically, and, and kind of get out of it. Um, it doesn't have any binding legal, I mean, there's some situations where that's an ex- there's exceptions, so don't bring those up. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, when you are really serious to go into a legally binding agreement with somebody, we do a contract today. Back then, they would establish a covenant. They would establish a covenant. And part of the ceremony to ratify the covenant um, included what happens here with these animals. Okay? Um, And this this ceremony was like signing on the dotted line. Okay? That's what it was. You were signing on the dotted line to enact this ceremony. And here's how it worked. Um, They selected animals. And they cut the animals in half. And they separated the halves of the animals in rows. Okay? And so the animals that were chosen, they're all animals that are found in the sacrificial system in Exodus and Leviticus. If you want to chase those things down, there's something that's interesting there. But they would, they cut these animals in half and separate them and make a row out of them. And, and what they were doing is they're creating an aisle. Okay, they're creating an aisle in between. So you got the heads on this side, you got the uh, the the, the rest of the body, the torso, or you cut it in the middle, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? So you create this aisle, and that's what happened in verses 9 and 10. God said, bring me a heifer, three years old, female goat, ram, turtle, dove, and pigeon. He brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, okay? So we correspondingly creating this aisle. And then the normal practice was for the two parties of the covenant to walk through the pieces down the aisle in between. And the idea was that while you did that, while you walked through the pieces, you would recite your obligations in the covenant. Okay, now, the animal pieces are really important because what you were doing here is by by walking through the pieces, you were actually saying, if I break this covenant, okay, if I don't fulfill my obligations here that I'm stating out loud, if I don't fulfill my part, then may I be cut in half just like these animals. Okay, so you're talking about signing in blood. Okay, now it's gruesome for our day, but you, know, you get the point. It made the point. Um, now, with this ceremony, there's some things that are different here than the normal way covenants were established. And these differences highlight God's grace. Because who passes through the pieces look at verse 17 it says when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces what's that smoking pot that's funny actually smoking pot um It is a smoking pot and a flaming torch. It just ruined the whole moment, didn't I? Um, Let's think here, right? Some of you who maybe are more familiar with the Bible, are there any places where you see a column of smoke, you know, and a a, a column of fire anywhere? Yeah, in the book of Exodus, right? And who, who is that? It's God god himself shows up and in the book of exodus it's called a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke and the image here you know the pillar of fire actually was protecting israel it protected them from their enemies it also kept them warm at night and then the pillar of called pillar of cloud the pillar of smoke um, was a shade for them by day but the image was this was god's presence and so here, catch this. The, the columns or the pillars are like the legs of God walking through the pieces. Okay, God doesn't have a body, but uh, he, re- he manifests himself in these images so that we can understand who he is and what he's doing. And so the smoking, the smoke from the smoking pot and the flame from this flaming torch are like the two legs of God walking through the pieces. Where's Abram? He's sleeping. Abram's asleep. What does that mean? That in this covenant, the obligations are solely on God. In this covenant, God is promising to do things, to bless Abram, to give him things. And all Abram contributes is faith. Abram does nothing in this covenant, Abram is responsible to do nothing in order to receive these blessings. Friends, this is grace. This is grace. This covenant is unconditional. It's guaranteed because it's based on God's grace. It's not based on our performance. The idea here is that Abram didn't do anything to earn the blessings of God. He didn't do anything to deserve the blessings of God. And here we have an incredibly graphic graphic picture. We have God saying, may I be torn in two. May I cease to exist if I do not give you the blessings that I have promised. We could say it another way. God was saying, I would rather be torn apart than to see my relationship with you broken. Folks, this is grace. This is good news that we believe in a God who loves us so much that he doesn't ask us to do anything to earn his blessings. But this is exactly what we see. Because while God takes on himself the obligations of the covenant, Abram is sitting and watching the vision. Abram could have been brought up and God could have said, "Okay, Abram, here's what you have to do. You need to be faithful to me, you need to be obedient to me, you need to be righteous to me in my sight, or you're going to get cut in half." But he doesn't. He doesn't because it's based on grace. Could you imagine a more graphic demonstration of God's commitment to his people? Could you imagine a more vivid picture? Like, how else could God drive home the reality that if you want a relationship with him, it's not based on being good enough? You don't have to clean up your life. You just bring yourself and all your baggage to God. I guess there is one way to make this picture even more vivid. There is one way to highlight the grace of God even even more graphically. What if the eternal God took on human nature and tasted death for people like us who break his covenant? What if this wasn't just a vision, but this was reality? Friends, this is exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. On the cross, the covenant curse fell upon Jesus, and he was torn in half. He was crucified. Not because he didn't fulfill his obligations in the covenant. But because we all have violated God's law. Because we all have broken God's law and lived apart from him. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God was so committed to us that when God said, May I be torn in two, I would rather be torn in two than to see my relationship with you broken. God actually came and enacted that. He came and he did that for us in Jesus. Jesus took the punishment for our sins so that God could forgive us. Friends, this is the good news that fills us up to overflowing. God's grace and his promise but his grace and his promise come alive in his actions and this is what he did for you do you see that do you understand his love for you he did this and it says he was joyful to do it I mean not joyful to actually go through the cross but you he had so much joy in you that he was willing to go through it. Where does this leave us? How do we connect to this? I mean, I think hopefully you are connecting. Hopefully just hearing this good news and these pictures of Jesus are filling you up. If you're not there yet, where this ends up for us is in verse 6. Because what does Abram do in this whole thing, besides express fear and doubt? The only thing Abram, Abram does in this passage is in verse 6. It says, he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Here, Abram is not described as doing righteousness. But Abram's trust in God is being counted for righteousness. God is looking at Abram and saying, "Because you are trusting in me, I am going to treat you as though you are righteous." This is God's grace. If you trust in Jesus, it could be for the first time or the 101st time when you put your trust in Jesus, It's like lifting off the lid of your pitcher. Fear clamps down so you can't be filled. Doubt clamps down so you can't be filled. Faith lifts the lid off, and it enables God to pour his blessings into your life, to help you experience his grace again afresh in your whole life, any area that you're dealing with, your relationships, your work, your home, your neighbors, your friends, in conflict, no matter where you are or what you're doing, if you will trust in God, God's blessings will fill your life. Yeah. This is good news. This is what compels us to want to be Christians, compels us to want to follow Jesus. And again, I challenge you spend the next seven days Connecting with God. I'd encourage you to read the story of Abraham. Just read it every day and say, God, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our hearts want so much to thank you in a manner that's worthy of what you've done for us. That you would come and pay for our sins. That your grace would be so clearly on display. Lord, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you loved us so much that you're willing to come. Father, thank you that it was because you loved the world so much that you gave your only son. Abram was dying for a son. Lord, you had one and you gave him up for us so that we could be forgiven, so that your grace would unlock your blessings in our lives. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to everyone here. For those who don't know you, Lord, that you would show them that the way back to a relationship with you is faith. It's not about obedience. It's not about being righteous. It's about trusting in you. And Lord, I pray that this grace would sink more deeply into our lives, that it would fill us up so that we really feel like we are overflowing. Lord, remind us of your grace this week. Help each of us to press in and understand your grace. Fill us up, Lord. Show us what you can do this week. In Jesus' name, amen.